This is Cowrie 97.5 FM, Abbey Okadell, and I'm Jackie Wilson Batley. COVID-19 cases in Nigeria now over the 17,000 mark. Rewind exactly one month to date. The country had only 5,621, with Lagos remaining the epicenter then with only 2,373. Now Lagos is in excess of 7,000. There were only 176 deaths exactly one month ago. Panic is starting to return, and Lagos has already cancelled a plan to allow religious worship effective June 19. Religious gatherings of all sorts remain banned in the state. Elsewhere in the world, Honduran President Juan Orlando Hernandez and his wife, along with two aides, have all tested positive to COVID-19. President Hernandez said he will work remotely while receiving treatment. The Central American country has so far recorded 9,178 cases with 322 deaths. As the coronavirus pandemic continues to take its toll amid relaxation of restrictions and lockdowns in many parts of the world, there's good news coming from Britain. What may well be the first major life-saving drug has been announced and the Brits are very upbeat about this. Dexamethasone, a cheap and widely available drug, can help save lives of patients seriously ill with the coronavirus. The BBC quoted UK's medical experts as saying the low-dose steroid is a major breakthrough in the fight against the deadly virus. The drug can cut the risk of death by a third for patients on ventilators, and for those on oxygen, it can cut the rate of deaths by a fifth. Researchers say had the drug been used to test patients in the UK from the start of the pandemic, up to 5,000 lives could have been saved. Very good news indeed and a great way to welcome you to today's edition of The Reset Bulletin on Cowrie 97.5 FM. I am Willie Thomas. The Reset Bulletin is our daily focus on the COVID-19 crisis its consequences and collateral benefits for social behavior, advocacy, conservation and good governance. Hi there, I'm Lucy Van Olden Barneveld from the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. If you're tuned to Cowrie 97.5 FM, then it's time to get serious. COVID-19 or coronavirus is real. So stay away from crowded areas, keep to hygiene rules and more importantly, listen to and abide by what government tells you to do. If you go to the market, keep two meters away from everyone and wash your hands once they make contact. Any contact at all, you need to wash your hands. Remember, coronavirus is defiant. It attacks all, big or small. Thanks. I'm glad you've heard my message. I'm Lucy, and I work and live in Canada. Hey, my friend, longest time. Uh, Keep your distance. Are we currently? Haven't you heard that coronavirus has entered Nigeria and people are contracting the virus every day? But I use hand sanitizer to clean my hand. I can't contract it. That's a good step, but it's not enough. No handshakes, no hugging. Practice physical distancing by simply increasing the space between you and other people to prevent the spread of coronavirus. Truth is, stay at home. I'm only out because I came to buy food items for emergency. You have to take responsibility to prevent the spread of coronavirus. 
virus. Avoid areas where there are lots of people. Ensure to keep a physical distance of at least two meters from other people. Wash your hands with soap and running water regularly and do not touch your face, eyes and mouth if you have not washed your hands. Take responsibility for you and the rest of us. This message is from the Federal Ministry of Health, the Nigeria Center for Disease Control and its partners. Empowering, developing, enabling, providing a voice for small to medium-sized businesses, facilitating capital generation at the grassroots level. That's all part of what we do. We are Cowrie 97.5 FM. We are back with the pangolin, and it's a subject which we will continue to treat for quite a while. We have the chairman of the Pangolin Crisis Fund, Paul Thompson, on the program this morning. And tomorrow, we'll be talking to Professor Ray Yansin, chairman of the African Pangolin Working Group, on the same subject. Pangolins, very, very big in the news. Once again, welcome to the Reset Boarding on Kauri 97.5 FM Radio. The Pangolin Crisis Fund is an initiative supported by the Leonardo DiCaprio Foundation to save pangolins in Africa and Asia. Two United States-based organizations are engaged in the campaign, Save Pangolins and the Wildlife Conservation Network. Paul Thompson is also the founder of Save Pangolins and he has been our guest a few times on this program. He joins us this morning from San Francisco. Cowrie, 97.5 Paul Thompson, welcome to the Reset uh, Board in. First, let's begin. What's your reaction, Save Pangolins and the Pangolin Crisis Fund, to the news coming from China that pangolins have been removed from the traditional Chinese medicine list? How do you react to this? Is this good news? Very good news, isn't it? Hello, Mr. Willie. Thank you so much for having me on your program. This is really big news coming from China. In fact, we've had a series of announcements from China that are quite optimistic overall. First, back in February, uh, when the COVID crisis was um, starting to really spread around the world, China made several bans effective immediately around um, the trade and consumption of wild animals. Then, uh, a couple weeks ago, China upgraded pangolins to their class one status, which is the, the highest level of protection for wildlife in China. So that was a major move, uh, and really, really great to see that China is acknowledging the threatened status of pangolins, um, and that they have a very important role to play in, in pangolin conservation. Then, a couple days following that announcement, uh, there was a report from state media uh, whereby pangolins were announced to be removed from the official list of ingredients for traditional Chinese medicine. So this is, this is potentially a, a real milestone for pangolins. Um, however, to be clear, we still have not yet seen the formal announcement from the government of China, and we have not seen the actual formal copy of of the list of ingredients, also called the pharmacopoeia. So we 
we remain very curious to know the full extent of this information. Um, there are some reports that potentially there's some loopholes remaining um, whereby the pangolins might still be uh, listed in some of the annexes of, of the list. Nevertheless, um, despite the speculation, this does send a really powerful message um, to both consumers of, of pangolin scales in traditional Chinese medicine, as well as the, the traffickers and poachers supplying those scales. So hopefully this will put a dent in the legal market for pangolins in China, which could have um, serious long-term uh, effects on pangolin conservation. But uh, it's, it's sort of too soon to say with certainty what those effects are, uh, but I do remain hopeful. Where does this leave the campaign to save pangolins? We hear that not many people involved in Chinese traditional medicine are very happy with the decision of the Chinese government. So this means that um, trafficking will probably go underground. A lot of groups have been monitoring the public reaction to the news of the removal of pangolin scales from traditional Chinese medicine, and it's quite mixed. Uh, I think it's really important to note that there was a lot of buzz on social media within China celebrating this move. I think that there's a large number of people in China, especially younger people and people in, in urban centers, that... Uh, want traditional Chinese medicine to be a sustainable practice. And they want to not see certain species go extinct because of TCM. Um, so, so that's very hopeful. Um, I know of several uh, leaders in the TCM field who are really um, urging a campaign to, to remove pangolins and other threatened species from the list of, of ingredients which is great. And I think it's really important that the practitioners of TCM um, really, really adopt this cause and they have the influence, right? So just as I listen to my doctor and take medicine that uh, my doctor advises me, I think a lot of people in China do the same thing. So if TCM doctors are prescribing pangolin scales, then of course their patients are going to uh, be more likely to use them. And similarly, if, if TCM doctors stop prescribing pangolins, then uh, their, their patients are much more likely to, to use other alternatives, which would be much better in the long term. Pangolins have become hot news item since the COVID-19 pandemic, especially since they were fingered as probable hosts of uh, the new coronavirus. Now the question is, uh, how will conservationists uh, deal with the situation to ensure greater enforcement of uh, laws and uh, the judicial system, ensuring that those who are arrested are actually brought to book and justice is done? Uh, the DRC, for instance, we've heard of late of moves to actually get the government to show stronger political will. Um, many African countries uh, are signatories to the CITES Convention, uh, which has uh, listed pangolins as endangered in Africa. But a lot has not been done. In Nigeria, for instance, it's a federal offense, but we've not uh, had reports of anybody arrested and uh, charged to court. So, 
how will conservationists you know be dealing with this are they likely going to ride are you going to ride on 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 the news the pangolins have made this year to push for uh, stronger action what you touch on here willie is really important and and spot on there is no one silver bullet for saving pangolins so the announcement coming from china first the the upgrade in protection status and then also this uh, report about the removal from tcm that is not that alone will not uh, save pangolins it's really going to be a multifaceted holistic approach uh, if we do want to succeed and at this point we've sort of overcome one of the first barriers which is raising global awareness around pangolins, right? So this year, especially, there's been so much attention on the obscure little pangolin that they've ultimately been pulled out of obscurity. And they're now a a sort of celebrity in the animal world. So what we as conservationists need to do is harness that attention and and work on the other um, segments of the entire wildlife trafficking chain. So to your point, we need to work with with governments in source countries where pangolins are being poached by the thousands and we need to uh, somehow find a way to root out corruption and get that government buy-in and build that political will so that governments do not sort of see the the bleeding and loss of their their natural resources like pangolins Um, we need to work with with law enforcement to make sure that uh that the 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 fines and countermeasures against pangolin poaching are severe enough to dissuade pangolin poachers from 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 getting involved and then importantly we need to work to root out the criminal syndicates that are actively working behind the scenes that are controlling this highly lucrative trade um, and that involves very very complex long-term sting operations to find out who these actors are and then bring them to justice. Uh, at, at the same time, we need to have a better understanding of, of pangolins themselves. They're still such a mystery to so many of us. And we, we need to understand sort of how they live and how many are left and where their strongholds are so that we can better protect them um, at the source. And that coupled with policy change in, in China um, and sort of building a movement globally to in support of pangolins um, is going to be key. But uh, I think we can do it. I think 2020 can be a turning point for pangolins. So I'm feeling hopeful and I hope more people uh, join us in supporting pangolin conservationists all over Africa and in Asia and really build this into the movement that we can one day look back on and be really proud and say, you know what, we did it. We, we saved this species from extinction. Paul Thompson, chairman of the Pangolin Crisis Fund. We will be hosting Professor Ray Yansin of the African Pangolin Working Group of South Africa in tomorrow's edition of the Reset Porting. Next, Bola Wola Makinde with a wrap-up of events across the world in the last 24 hours. From our London, United Kingdom studios, this is Kauri 97.5 FM Newsbeat. I am Bola Wola Makinde. At least 24 soldiers were reportedly killed and some others unaccounted for 
after gunmen ambushed an army convoy in central Mali on Saturday. This is said to be the biggest loss for the military since November last year, when more than 50 soldiers died in an attack. Army officials said about 12 vehicles had been in the convoy, and four of them were destroyed in the ambush. The army said eight survivors were later found about 60 miles from the border with Mauritania. However, no group has admitted carrying out the raid, but Islamist militants are active in the area. Burundi's foreign ministry has said the country's newly elected president, Evaris Ndaihimiye, will be sworn in on Thursday, two months earlier than planned. The fast-track ceremony follows the death of the incumbent Pierre Nkuruziza. Ndaihimiye is a former Hutu rebel and army general like his predecessor. He had been due to be sworn in in August, but the Constitutional Court brought forward the ceremony following the death of the president. In a letter, the foreign ministry has invited diplomats and foreign organizations to attend the inauguration in the capital, Gitega. More than 20 senior United Nations officials from different African countries have spoken about their outrage at systemic racism and police brutality in the United States and across the world. Writing in a personal capacity, the officials say racism exists within the UN and the organization needs an honest assessment of itself if it is to lead the wider fight for equality. Consequently, the authors, including the head of the World Health Organization, Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, and the head of UNAIDS, Winnie Bayanamia, said the organization must do more to remove what they call the stain of racism on humanity. The Palestinian Sunni Islamic fundamentalist militant organization Hamas has called for unity among Palestinians and the resistance against Israeli plans to annex parts of the occupied West Bank. Senior Hamas official Salah al-Badawil said at a news conference in the besieged Gaza Strip on Monday that Palestinian unity is the bedrock of national strength through which the planned catastrophic annexation can be resisted and foiled. He however called for popular Palestinian actions against the planned annexations, such as demonstrations. He also called for a general meeting between Hamas and the Palestine Liberation Organization, PLO, which includes various other Palestinian groups. North Korea has reportedly blown up its joint liaison office with the south near the border town of Kaesong. The site, which is in the North's territory, was opened in 2018 to help the two Koreas communicate, but the liaison office has been empty since January due to COVID-19 restrictions. The move comes just hours after the North renewed threats of military action against the South. It would be recalled that tension between North and South Korea escalated for weeks, prompted by defected groups in the South sending propaganda into the North. South Korea's unification ministry in Seoul confirmed that there was an explosion. Three Indian soldiers have reportedly been killed in a clash with Chinese forces in Dagdak in the disputed Kashmir region amid rising tension between the two countries. The deaths are believed to be the first in decades in a confrontation between the two powers. Meanwhile, the Indian Army said senior military officials of the two sides are meeting to defuse the situation, but did not elaborate. 
But according to reports, China responded by calling on India not to take unilateral action or stir up trouble. The reports also say China has accused India of crossing the border and attacking Chinese soldiers. The Indian Army is however expected to address reporters shortly to provide more information about the incident. Hong Kong leader Carrie Lam has urged opponents of Beijing's plan to impose national security legislation in the financial hub. This is as she labeled those who were critical of the legislation the enemy of the people. It would be recalled that Beijing plans to impose the legislation in the semi-autonomous region as a means to tackle what it labels secession, subversion, terrorism and foreign interference. Critics, however, see it as an existential threat to the one country, two systems framework that was agreed upon when the British returned Hong Kong to Chinese rule in 1997. The Chinese government and Lam's Beijing-backed city administration, however, say the law would not curtail freedom but will target a small number of troublemakers and help bring stability after a year of anti-government protests. And finally... United States President Donald Trump has confirmed plans to withdraw 9,500 American troops from bases in Germany. This comes as he accused Germany of being delinquent in its payments to NATO and threatened to stick with the plan unless Berlin changed its course. Trump has long complained that European members of NATO should spend more on their own defense. Germany's ambassador to the United States, however, Emily Haber, said U.S. troops were not there to defend Germany, but to defend transatlantic security. Haber, however, added that Berlin had been informed of the plan. I am Bolawola Makinde. And our next report gives more background to what you just heard in Bolawola Makinde's news wrap-up. The brewing crisis between China and India. This report, courtesy WION, World is One News. I'll start with the latest, and I'm afraid it's not good news. Twenty Indian soldiers have been killed in the Galwan Valley. This is according to sources, and before some of you start preaching us on social media, I'll say killed in action and not martyred on the show, because that's how the army describes it. Soldiers are killed in action. China, too, has lost men, almost the same number, including a commanding officer. We cannot confirm a number. The Chinese government won't give a figure. They never do. But our sources tell us that Chinese troops constructed a temporary structure on the Indian side of the border. This is how it began. Remember, we were talking about disengagement. So what happened suddenly? Because the Chinese did not walk the talk. They kept talking about disengagement, but they built this temporary structure on the Indian side of the border, a clear violation of the consensus reached during the military-level talks. This temporary structure was built somewhere along patrolling point number 14, PP14. Indian troops destroyed the structure yesterday. The Chinese side returned in big numbers, prepared for a face-off. China has an advantage in this terrain. It has built roads on its side of the Galwan Valley. For India, the Galwan River poses a serious disadvantage. Crossing it is quite a task. Nonetheless, Colonel Santosh Babu and his battalion went ahead to block the Chinese incursion. A violent clash ensued. A number of soldiers apparently got pushed into the Galwan River. So far, three bodies have been recovered. But the number of casualties is higher, as I said. The situation is being described as, quote-unquote, very serious. It's no more business as usual. For the first time in 40 years, soldiers have been killed in an India-China border standoff. 
Officially, the casualties include two soldiers and a senior officer. Colonel Santosh Babu, the commanding officer of the 16th Bihar Regiment. No firing is said to have taken place. It was a skirmish, a physical brawl. This is being called a result of six weeks of massive build-up. It occurred at a time when both sides were said to be de-escalating. And you must hear the Chinese version of the story. Beijing is suggesting that India provoked first. It accuses Indian troops of illegally crossing into Chinese territory. The Chinese Foreign Ministry says that it was a quote-unquote serious violation of the consensus reached during disengagement talks. But China is yet to admit if it suffered any casualties. Listen to this. What is shocking is that on June 15th, the Indian troops seriously violated the consensus of the two sides. They crossed the border illegally twice and carried out provocative attacks on Chinese personnel, resulting in serious physical conflicts between the two border forces. China has lodged strong protests and solemn complaints with the Indian side and once again solemnly demands that the Indian side strictly restrain the frontline troops in accordance with the relevant spirit. Do not cross the border, do not act provocatively, do not take any unilateral actions that will complicate the border situation. Do not complicate the border situation, do not take provocative action, do not take unilateral action. This is China's message to India. But who really is complicating the border situation? Who is being provocative? Here's something that I want to tell you. The Chinese army has a system of political commissars. These are officers who serve as a link between the party and the army. They are responsible for political indoctrination and for motivating soldiers in combat situations. Now our sources tell us that the political commissar in this case was instrumental in ratcheting up the tension and provoking the scuffle. Clearly this has gone too far and India, we are told, is prepared for any eventuality. India is much better prepared today to deal with the Chinese offensive than it was at the time of Doklam. The army has reportedly been placed on an orange alert. This is the second highest level of alert, second only to the red alert. It is usually placed in anticipation of a strike, a large-scale confrontation. The army has sounded the orange alert several times in the past, mostly after or in anticipation of terror attacks. So have we reached a point of no return? The answer is no. Talks are very much on. Dialogue is being given top priority. India and China were engaged in marathon talks through the day today. The Indian Defence Minister chaired a crucial meeting to review the situation. It went on late till, this, till late this evening. It was attended by the Chief of Defence Staff, General Bipin Rawat, the three service chiefs, the Foreign Minister of India, S.J. Shankar. The Prime Minister is being briefed about all these developments regularly. What happened last evening is a result of weeks of Chinese provocation. China kept talking about dialogue and confrontation. Its army kept infiltrating on the border. The Chinese state media constantly reported on how the PLA was preparing for battle. They put out videos of military exercises. They reported on how China was reinforcing its defenses. India went with a mature response. Though India was upset for the first time in many years, the Indian Prime Minister did not wish the Chinese President Xi Jinping on his birthday, which was yesterday, 15th of June. No greetings this time. India did not ask for this confrontation, but India must respond to it. China has built roads that give them obvious advantage. Now, India has been building roads, and that is why China is being provocative.
India must not stop. This is not 1962. This is not even 2017. India is better prepared, as I said, with a different playbook. The best way to deal with a bully is to call its bluff. China cannot afford a war right now. India does not want a war. Giving Beijing any ground after all of this would be plain wrong. And we are not in the business of war mongering. But the opposite of war is not always peace. Sometimes it is capitulation, and that's something to be avoided at all costs. And with that report from WION, we end today's edition of the Reset Bulletin. Remember the rules: stay safe, physical distancing, hand washing, learn not to touch your face, wear a mask, body and home hygiene, and you're free from COVID-19. I am Willie Thomas, and it's been the Reset Bulletin. Good morning. This is Cowrie 97.5 FM, Abiyokuta, and I'm Jackie Wilson Battery.